Proverbs 28.13 says, He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. In humble dependence on Almighty God, let us together confess our sins. Heavenly Father, Lord of the universe, we come to you realizing you have called us here for a special purpose. But sometimes we become overwhelmed by the magnitude of the task. Forgive us when we let fear and timidity hold us back from sharing the great blessing of salvation you have given us. We admit the times we have given in to despair and discouragement and lost our courage in sharing your love. We admit our insecurities about how much we know and fear saying the wrong thing about you. Oh God, Take away our fears and doubts and give us a spirit of boldness that fearlessly and comfortably talks about our relationship with you. Give us eyes to see your glory as you advance your kingdom through us. In Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. For assurance of forgiveness from Psalm 103, for as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. Our guidelines for living from 2 Corinthians 5.20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Once again, as you're able, please rise and join us as we continue our worship. Every praise is to our God, every word of worship with one accord. Every praise, every praise to our God. Sing hallelujah to our God. Glory hallelujah is to our God. Every praise, every praise is to our God. Every praise is to our God. With one accord, every praise, every praise to our God. Sing hallelujah to our God, glory hallelujah is to our God. Every praise, every praise to our God. with one accord every praise every praise 
Father in heaven, we just want to thank you for being such a great God to us, being awesome and in every way as we just sang, and caring for us in our needs even when we don't even think so. I thank you, God, for your love and concern. And Father, now we give to you and your work for the glory of your kingdom here in Wichita. Lord, just use these gifts and bless these people as they give. In Jesus' name, amen. This is my Father's prayer, and to my listening ears, all nature sings and round me rings the music of the spheres. This is my Father's prayer, I rest me. Skies and seas and the wonders wrought. This is my father's world. At birds their carols rings, the morning light, the lily white, declare the maker's face. This is my father's world. Shines in old as In the rustling grass I hear him pass. He speaks to me everywhere. This is my father's world. All that me ne'er forget. Not though the wrong seems oft so strong, God is the is my father's home. Why should my heart be sad? The Lord is king, but the heavens bring God's reigns of the earth be Come before the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for this beautiful day and for this opportunity to celebrate fatherhood. I know, God, that I am so blessed to one have you as my father. And that, Lord, I know that you have provided for everything that I need in this life. And that you have mapped out my life and you have things that are going on in each one of us, Lord. We give you praise and thanksgiving and honor for providing for us so richly. And I thank you for my earthly father and for the wonderful lessons I learned from him, for the example that he set at times imperfectly, but how I learned and how to see uh, and understand your love and your forgiveness and the wonderful hope that we have in Jesus because of his witness in my life. I thank you, Lord, for being blessed and for each one of us here, Lord, for the blessings of parents that we had in our lives. I pray also, too, for those who are parents here today, and especially the dads, Lord, as we 
try to set the example, and Lord, how we fumble. But yet, what a wonderful thing of your grace and your forgiveness and your work of the Holy Spirit within us to be godly examples in our lives. I pray, Jesus, too, for our world right now. We pray for our government. I pray for our president. I pray for our Congress. I pray for the judicial branch of the government. We pray for also our local uh, state, county, and also city leaders. And pray especially for those who protect us in the military, but also on our streets tonight. Last night, Lord, we just pray for the officer that was shot seven times. And I pray, Lord, for his healing and that you will guide the doctors and give them wisdom and to bring healing to his body, but also be with his family during this very sensitive time of being critically injured um, in a very bad shootout. And also for the family of the suspect who had to be shot and killed. Lord, I just pray that you'll be with that situation and bring your strength and healing. And for those that minister unto these families, Lord, that you'll give them wisdom also. I pray also for those in our flock that are struggling. I think of Anne, I think of Kay, I think of Lucille. I think of Howard with his back and also the um, hole that he has in his head and for his wife who just had knee surgery um, for Betty. And we also pray for Frank Wonka who came home and is under hospice now. I just pray that you'll be with him as he makes the journey, the last uh, moments of the journey of his life. We thank you for his faith and for the hope that we have in Jesus that um, as um, he leaves this life that he'll be in your hands and that he'll be home safely. But in the process, Lord, we know the sadness that that family holds. I pray for them, bring them comfort in knowing that he's going to be with you. I pray also to Jesus for Anne's family as she lost her mother this week. Uh, Just be with her and for that family as they walk through that journey of grief and sorrow. I pray also to the Lord God for um, uh, our brother um, who had back surgery. I just pray for Don that you'll continue to heal that back and he can get fully restored full health and strength. I pray also too for those that we work with and try to help that are addicted and have addictions, Lord, problems. I I think of Ryan and Jordan and Dave and Brady and Eric and Ricky. All these young men are are battling their addiction. For Mitch, too, who also found out that he's got throat cancer after these years of what he's gone through. Lord, I just pray that you'll bring healing, but also, too, Lord, that you can help them look to you, Christ, and change their ways and begin to walk a life that's worthy of the calling of Christ. And we pray also, too, for Steve and for his family members that you know that are going through some difficult health issues right now. Uh, just bless them, Lord, for his uh, brother's wife and for his mom, and also, too, for his uh, second brother's wife, that um, you'll be with them in the difficult times that they're having, Jesus. Pray for the couple, too, yesterday, that for Sydney and Sam that were married here, I just pray for their marriage, Lord, that... Um, They will keep you the center of their relationship as they walk together through life. And I pray, Father God, too, for two other marriages that I'm very mindful right now that are struggling. Lord, you know who they are, and I just ask you that your hand will be upon them. 
And now, Father God, continue to bless us as we hear from the ministry of music from Howard and also when we hear from your word, Jesus. Just open our hearts to hear what you have to say. May each person come away here today with something that you've done in their hearts to change. In Jesus' name, amen. God sent his son, they called him Jesus, he came to love, heal and forgive. Savior lives, and because he lives, I can face tomorrow, because he lives, all fear is gone, because I know he holds the future, and Life is worth the living just because he lives. How sweet to hold a newborn baby and feel the pride and joy he gives. But greater still child can face uncertain days because Christ lives and then one day I'll cross that river I'll fight life's final war with pain and then as death gives way see the lights of glory and I'll know Christ reigns and because he lives I can face tomorrow because he lives all fear is gone because I know oh yes I know he the future and life is worth the living just because he lives yes life is worth the living just because he lives thank you Howard that's beautiful Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. Well, we are closing in on the final 
chapter in the letters that Peter has written to the church. And it's always interesting, especially as he finishes out with talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ, a very important element of our society. And in the early church, they used two ways of greeting one another. Um, one was uh, shalom, which is a Jewish expression for peace. The second way was also the church used Maranatha, especially when the crisis were, had been so great and they were looking forward to Jesus Christ coming to judge the world at the end. And they were, used that word Maranatha, and a preacher down south decided that he was going to help his congregation understand the concept because Maranatha in the Aramaic means Christ is coming or the Lord is coming. And he decided to teach his congregation. He said, now next week when everybody comes in, instead of saying good morning, say Maranatha, as the early church would do. And sure enough, the next week he was hearing that and the people were walking around and saying Maranatha, Maranatha. And then he had this one little lady who came and she was so excited and she said, Pastor, methadone. She got it mixed up. Well... That can happen. And in our world, the world doesn't want to believe that Christ is going to come back. In fact, the world scoffs at it. And that's what Peter is speaking about here. Because the day of the Lord has been talked about thousands of years. Even since the beginning of the time of a day of the Lord when he would return. And he will bring back judgment. And he will deal with who is to go to heaven and who is to go to hell. In fact, in the Bible... Um, we find that um, even 1,845 times it's talked about the end of times when Christ will return to judge the world and the sea and all that is in it. One-fifth the entire Bible speaks about the second coming of Jesus Christ. And one verse out of eight talk about the second coming of Christ. One verse spoken about atonement, there are two verses talked about, about his second coming. In fact, if you will know the truth about it, the greatest Christmas carol that people love, it's the most popular Christmas carol, Joy to the World, is really not a Christmas carol. What happened was Isaac Watts wrote that to be about the second coming of Christ. And when you read the second and third verses, you see that in his writings when he speaks about no more let sin and sorrows groan, nor thorns infest the ground. And the thorns is talking about the work that people do that was promised in the Genesis that men and women would work and they would be toiling. It would be labor because of sin that had come upon the world. And then the fourth verse where it says, He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations know. This is all about the second coming of Christ. And the, even in our creeds, the, the Nicene Creed and the Apostles' Creed talk about Jesus coming to judge the living and the dead or the quick and the dead. And the quick means living. All those speak about it. And here Peter... In his first letter, 1 Peter 1, he spoke about to Christians who were being persecuted. We remember Nero was trying to destroy Rome by fire, 
and he needed someone to blame because he didn't want to be tagged with it, but he wanted to rebuild it for the glory of his name. And so what he did is he scapegoated Christians. And so they were persecuted badly, and they, they were thrown into lion's dens, and they were thrown in, in the Colosseum, and they were eaten by lions. They were even used in their, uh, his garden. They were wrapped with skin, and they were dipped in oil, and they were burned at the stake. And he talked about how to deal with a world that is hostile to Christians, and that was his first book. But then in the second book, he writes years later because now things had changed, and that wasn't the persecution anymore, but it was within the church that false teachers had come in. And he talks about the sovereignty of God and the authority of the word in chapter 1. Chapter 2, he talks about how these false teachers have cropped in and tried to change their thinking. And then in the third chapter, he talks about especially scoffers and these false teachers who mocked that Jesus was going to come again and he was going to judge the world. And it's at that point that we pick up Peter today in this last chapter. And the Bible says to us, Beloved, I now write to you the second epistle, in both in which I stir you the pure minds by the way of reminder, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, and the command of us and the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Now, Peter is talking to about a group of people who were denying and very skeptical. They thought lightly of what these teachers talked about, that Christ was going to come and he was going to judge the world and he was going to set everything right and that the end of time would be at, at hand. And there's, um, uh, Will Rogers said it once very well, everyone is ignorant and at different subjects. And these false teachers were ignorant about the end of times. They didn't get that Christ was going to come again. And Peter, notice what he says to them. I want you to have sincere minds. I want you to have your minds built on what Christ has said and what the truth of God's word is. And he says, I want you to have this sincere mind. And the sincere mind comes from the idea that when you crack the vase or a jar or an owner would crack, he, it was, the name of it was without wax. And what happens was when people would drop a jar or a vase and they're trying to sell it, what they would do is they'd take wax and beautifully make it so that they could fit it back together, like almost like Gorilla Glue. And yet what happens is when a person would take and hold it up against the light, they can see the actual crack that somebody was trying to sell them something false. And Peter says to the flock here, I want you guys to be without wax. I want you to be the real McCoy. And in the present tense, he is saying to them, you guys have to know the truth about this, that you realize that Christ is coming and he's going to come to judge the world and everything in it. And don't be get caught sleeping when he comes. And what he's speaking to is there's nothing to be hidden that will not be revealed when Christ returns, there's two books the book of Revelation says. There's one book that says who's in the book and who's not. Who's going to go to heaven and who's not. But then there's a second book. 
And we as Christians, if we believe in Jesus Christ, we don't have to be worried about. We're already in the first book. It's the second book which we will be judged as according to what we've done and how well we've done it and whether or not what kind of reward we're getting. It's a rewards book, really. And on the day of the Lord, he will bring that to our attention. And you will get rewards according to what you have done in this earth and that God will provide that for you. But you see, these scoffers, they laughed about that. They kind of blew that off. They didn't take it seriously. And they continued to laugh about it because they wanted to continue in their sinful patterns. And so Peter now speaks about things that are necessary for them to understand. And he talks about how these things came about that were walking in their lust. And that's why they don't want to believe it. I really appreciate um, Adolf Huxley, who was a, basically an atheist. And one of the things that he submitted to uh, his writers, and he admitted that the reason why he didn't want to believe in Christianity and Jesus Christ he said it's not so much that it didn't intellectually make sense to him. It's that he loved his lifestyle that was very sinuous and very promiscuous, and he loved to do what he was doing. He said, and if I give myself over to this moral lifestyle that Jesus Christ promotes for us and that I have to give my life to him, I would have to stop that because I would not have any more integrity in my life. And so he admitted to that. Now, Peter comes here and speaks about the integrity of which God works in his word and fulfills all that he says. Even though, the apostle, even though these apostate believers right now are saying, no, people have fallen asleep. It's gone on too long. He's never coming back. And we see that in our world today. One of the saddest things is Bill Moyers, a respected journalist for PBS, and yet a Baptist minister got up in Harvard and began to speak against the end of times. And he mocked the 12-volume set of the Left Behind series. Now, I don't believe everything the Left Behind series says about the end of times. But I do know this, that the Bible says that Christ is coming back. And he will judge the world. And that Bill Moyers got up and laughed about it. But he's not the only one in our society. Think about Ted Turner. Ted Turner, here's a guy who was, went off, was going to go to seminary, brought up as a Christian. And when his sister died of cancer, he changed. He was angry with God. Can't believe that there's a God. And mocked God several times in public arenas. CNN even reported him about the second coming of Christ. Listen to what he says about it. He said, Christianity is for losers. He said, here is my take on the second coming of Christ. Almost every religion talks about a savior coming. And when you look in the mirror this morning, you're looking at your savior. Nobody else is going to save you but yourself. Totally pushing Christ away, God away, the infinite one away, and how tragic. I pray for his soul because he needs to understand that Christ died for him. And even though he understands it but refuses and rejects it because of his hurtness in his heart, he needs to understand that our heel will stand before the Lord in the end. You see, the Bible talks to us that God's word is true. Peter wants us to understand that 
wholeheartedly. And not only is it true, but the scoffers who are saying that his long time coming is putting, being put off is just baloney and that he's never coming. We see here, he says, no, God's work also is a consistent working of God. Notice what he says. For this is willfully forgotten, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, the earth standing out of water and water, by which the world has existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and earth which are present preserved by the same word and reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of the ungodly. And what Peter here is talking about is that first he's saying the power of creation. He said the Bible gives us an insight into how creation came about. He said it was empty and void, the Bible says in Genesis. And Peter says that's what it was. And God brought it into being. And we see that throughout the studies of intellectual design. Intelligent design has brought this together. Your DNA, my DNA, if you look at it, it's just not happen chance. This world and the way it's put together and all the things that make it work and connect with it is just not by happen chance. It would be as if you were to say, let's put all the parts into Hangar 10 and Boeing, and then let's have an earthquake and shake it, and that uh, 747 would come together. That would never happen. It can't. But if you have people with intelligent minds who designed that plane and put every bolt and rivet and every wire into that plane to make it work and fly, that is what happened to this earth. That is what happened to creation. That's how you and I came into being. We just didn't happen chance. This DNA and this wiring that we have in our being, it just didn't happen. And that's what Peter is saying here today. And furthermore, he said that it also was destroyed by water, which God promised he never would do again. But in Noah's day, he did. And people mocked Noah. For 120 years, Peter, uh, Noah preached that God was going to destroy the earth with water, and people laughed at him for building his ark in the desert. But then when the water came, and they were trying to swim for safety, and the doors of the ark were shut, they had no answer, for they saw God's judgment come upon the world. And you see, Peter is saying that same thing to these who are judging Christians for believing that Christ will come again to judge the living and the dead. And what we see here in the second coming is three things he gives us. One thing is that for sure we know that he's coming as he promised. Second, that the godly, ungodly will be judged. And thirdly, that it's an actual gift of God that he gives us that he hasn't come yet. There's a lot of people who say, well, he's never going to come because he hasn't done in 2,000 years. That's because God is patient. He's waiting. And he's waiting for the time, his time, to do it. And he speaks about that very boldly in the next set of passage. 
that he speaks to us and makes sure that we understand how he does this. You see, we're in a culture right now that is being flipped upside down. We are going from a culture in America of Christian values, Judeo-Christian heritage that is being flipped on its ear, and that we are moving into a secular culture where there is no longer any values or, or, or norms that come from God. But man is free totally to do whatever he wants, even if it hurts him. And we're seeing that turn upside down in our society today. And we're seeing the outgrowth of that. The violence, the hurt, the anger. The people confused in their head to even think about who they are. And what kind of person they are. They're confused about their own gender. Tragically. And they're being broken inside. And we're seeing that. We see the pornography, what it does to families and children and adults and what it does to their families and how that has swollen into breaking apart families. And then we also see from the outside radical Islam and the different groups of people that are infiltrating into our society and how the prevailing confusion in theology in churches today and questioning even salvation. How am I saved? And is Jesus Christ the only way? Even though the scripture holds up to that very tenet, people question it today and are throwing it beside the wayside. And people are being called bigots and, 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 and selfish by saying that your religion's better than mine. Even though they don't compare the grace of Jesus Christ with the do, do, do works that other, other religions have to do. And they find themselves worn out and can't completely forgive for fulfill the perfection to get into heaven. None of us will ever make perfection. I can't. I'm a sinner. I know I do not deserve to get into heaven because I sin every day. And it's only by the blood of Jesus Christ that washes away my sin that I know I can get to heaven. There is no other way. And there's a lot of people who, even in the church, say, no, you're a good person. No, I'm not. I sin every day. And I know I need a Savior. That's why Jesus came. If we didn't need Jesus to be our Savior, why would Jesus come to earth? The only reason Jesus came to earth was to shed his blood on the cross so that you and I could go to heaven. That's the only reason. And if we don't watch ourselves and our, the church doesn't watch theology, it is blurring the lines and the church is going to miss what God has done for them by saving them on the cross. And that the message of the gospel will be lost. And so Peter here speaks very boldly. And he says to us, and we need to understand this, that Christ is going to return. And we're all going to need to stand before the throne. Every man, every woman will stand before him. And what will be asked? Will we see, yes, a personal Jesus no substitutes. He will come and we will see him as clear as day. That 
a literal, not a vision, not sometimes, but we will literally see Jesus return. And that it will be visible that everyone will see him. Not one person will miss it. And that it will be sudden. And that it will be unexpected. And where will you be? Where will you be standing when Christ comes and looks at everything in your life? And he looks at, will you be forgiven in Christ? Will you be saved? Or will you stand on your own and he'll see all the sin in your life and send you into darkness? You see, this is the scriptures. This is not my viewpoint. This is what the Bible has to say. And that the second coming will judge the living and the dead. That's what the creed says. That's what the Bible says. And you see, though, this is what's so miraculous about what Peter is teaching today. God's work is consistent. And that he will not allow imperfection into his heaven. But if you're washed in the blood of Christ, and you're made perfect by Christ, you will be welcomed in. And that's Peter's third point. His, his third point is that God's will is for him to be merciful. Now, mercy is being given what you don't deserve. It's being covered for. Mercy is not being given what you deserve. I deserve punishment for my sin. But God, by his mercy, doesn't give us that. In fact, by his grace, he gives us what we don't deserve, that only Jesus Christ deserves. We receive that in our lives, and that's what we get from Christ. We get that grace. And because of that, that's why he holds back. Look at what Peter says, why Jesus is taking his time to come back. He says, but beloved, do not forget the one thing that the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as one day. The Lord's not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away, with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat, and both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Now, there's three elements in here that Peter is talking about. He's quoting Psalm 90 first, and he talks about the timeline of God. He is saying that God is infinite, and time doesn't hold him back, he's eternal. And you and I in this whole time of earth is this big. And God is eternal and is beyond time and sees time from a perspective that you and I do not have. Because he's eternal and infinite and forever, time is a very short thing. And the psalmist, he draws out here who says that a thousand years is like a minute for God. That's what it is. It's not a big deal. And he sets in his timeline 
when his coming will return to judge the world. And that the reason why he's held back is because of his mercy. That he's giving everybody a chance to repent and come to Christ. And people have no idea how much the accountability will be for them. They are clueless. I, I laughed and cried at the same time in my heart. One day I was out doing the park ministry and I ran into these kids doing drugs in the park. And as we began talking, I was talking to them about, they asked me who I was and I told them that I was a minister and uh, you know, I talk about Jesus and stuff like that. And one kid said, well, yeah, I used to go to Catholic church and I was the best altar boy they ever had. And, God's going to be good to me because I was a good altar boy. And we began to talk about what it took to get into heaven. And then it turns. When I began to say, well, do you realize that God knows every thought and action you've ever done? And he's going to hold you accountable for all that. No way. God's loving. He's not that way. Well, the Bible says he's going to judge everybody according to what they've done and what they thought. And furthermore, do you realize that Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, he said, you know what? If you look upon a woman lustfully, that's like doing it. No way, preacher Dave. No. <laughs> yeah. That's, what it's, that's the way he judges. And he'll hold you accountable for that. No, God is loving. He'll forgive you. Not if you don't repent. Not if you don't change your ways. Not if you don't start following his way. And then I had their attention. You see, because God is a just God. And he knows. And he understands everything about us. And he sees it all, all of history in one little blip. And he also sees our lives and what we've done. And that's why it's impossible for us to make it into heaven without Jesus Christ. And here, Peter then says, don't count it that God's being slack about this. God's got all the time in the world. But he also wants to give us and mankind the opportunity to repent. Because what will happen when Christ comes, he will come in verse 10. The day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night when you never expect it. And then what will happen is that you will see this infinite God who's been very patient God will also bring out his justice. And he's very merciful, very loving. He wants to forgive all mankind, but if you refuse his offer, justice will come. And all justice will take place. 
All the inconsistencies of our justice system that has taken place will now, at the final day, God will bring all the justice to fullest, just, and right. And all that will be corrected. All those who slid by our justice system will finally face the day in which they will meet the eternal judge. And they will have to give an account for what they have done. This is what this passage says. And that this justice is for all mankind. And they need to repent and change their ways and give themselves to Christ or they will finally be meted out because the justice has been paid in Jesus Christ if you trust him. But if you don't trust him, justice will be meted out in you. And you will have to deal with that. And Peter wants everybody to beware what this thing looks like. Notice what he says. He says, but the day of the Lord will be like a thief in the night, and the heavens will pass away with great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. You know, we've often talked about in our world about the coming of the end with a tremendous hydrogen bomb or to see that fusion take place as we saw the bomb that was dropped on Nagasaki. And here, it sounds like Peter is speaking about that kind of fusion when he comes because the great noise that people will hear and that the elements are melting. That's what happens in nuclear fusion with a fervent heat. And it's not because man has pushed the button. It's because God says, okay, I am done. And now is the final day. And that fusion will melt all the great cities and all the great buildings that we have built will be fervently taken away in heat. And the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. That's the final day that our Lord will return. And that's what it's going to look like. And justice will finally serve. And that those who are in Christ, their justice has been found and served in Christ on the cross. And those who have not will go to their final destination of judgment in hell. That's what the Bible says. And you see, the Bible here, Peter is saying, be ready. Do you remember when you were kids and you used to play hide-and-go-seek? And we hear the people, 99, 100, ready or not, here I come. Guess what? Ready or not, Jesus is coming. Are we ready? You see, our world needs to see that. They need to understand that there is a coming a time of accountability like none ever in all the world. And it's sad because our early nation's fathers even knew this. Lord Tennyson wrote a beautiful piece, short piece, and it's in the Capitol building. And it's also inscribed on the ceiling and also in the Library of Congress. And this is what he said. And tell me what he's thinking about here. One God, one law, one element, 
and one far off divine event toward which the whole of creation moves. What's he talking about? He's talking about the final culmination and justice of God in his second coming. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, today we come to you with hearts. Heavy for those that we know, Jesus, that do not know you. And don't even have a clue that the second coming, your day will come. And that, Lord, that they can be free from that. And they can become free in you by the good news of Jesus Christ. They can have their sins washed away and have a permanent place with you in heaven because they love you and they've opened their hearts and says, Jesus, I trust that you saved me. I pray for those that we know that don't know this, that, Lord, you use us in their lives and that, Jesus, that we will be ready and that we're constantly showing the world there's a better way, your way. Help us to be that way, Jesus. Help us to truly love people like you do and have the patience for this world to repent. Thank you, God, for your love. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's rise and receive our benediction and close by singing our beautiful little hymn. And now the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forever. Amen.